The January 24th session of the Arlington County Board of Appeals is now in session. Good evening and welcome. I am Richard Kaplan, Chair of the Board of Zoning Appeals. The board is made up of five citizens appointed by the circuit court. In addition to myself, we have Vice Chair Intimalis, Judy Freshman, Portia Clark, and Lindsay Arthurs. Also present is the professional staff, including Blake Bowen, Board of Zoning Appeals Coordinator, Meg Ryan, BZA Associate Planner, and Stephen Rissi, Zoning Prim Supervisor. To avoid disruptions, we ask that you please place your mobile devices in silent mode. Before we begin tonight's hearing, I will discuss this board's powers and procedures for tonight's hearing. The board's powers are prescribed in the Code of Virginia and are set forth in further detail in the county's zoning ordinance adopted by the county board. The Board of Zoning Appeals does not have the power to rezone property or to amend the regulations set forth in the ordinance. That authority rests solely with the county board. This board does have the authority to do three things. First, the BZA can approve use permits that allow modifications of placement requirements for structures on one and two family lots where there is no option in the zoning ordinance to allow such modifications. Second, the BZA can grant variances from specific requirements of the zoning ordinance. And third, the BZA has the power to hear and decide appeals of the zoning administrator or from any order, requirement, decision, or determination made by any other administrative officer in the administration or enforcement of Title 15.2, Article 7 of the Code of Virginia. In exercising its powers, the board may reverse or affirm wholly in part or may modify an order, requirement, decision, or determination appealed. The determination of the administrative officer, the uh, zoning administrator, shall be presumed correct by the BZA. The appellant has the burden of proof to rebut the presumption of correctness by a preponderance of the evidence. This board shall consider any applicable ordinance, laws, and regulations in making its decision and must base our judgment on whether the administrative officer was correct. The concurring vote of a majority of the membership of the board shall be necessary to reverse any order or determination. Now on to tonight's hybrid hearing. For those who are participating in person, on the front table, you will find a QR code linking to a copy of the appeal package, including the staff report for the cases before us this evening. For those participating virtually, a copy of each application package can be found on the, on the Arlington County BZA website. There is also a link in the chat for the application package. I recommend that if you have not yet seen that report, you review the report before the case is called. If you are attending virtually and lose connectivity, please reconnect with us by phone. If you are attending via Teams, please keep yourself muted and cameras off until called upon. Turn off the sound on any other device around you to minimize interference. When called upon to speak, please turn your camera on and unmute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon that is located in the meeting command bar. County staff does not have the ability to unmute you. The meeting chat is active for technical support assistance only. The meeting chat should not be used for discussion, public comments, questions about agenda items, or requests for more information. All public comments must be shared verbally or have been previously provided in writing for the record during the assigned public testimony period. This evening, staff will call the appeals. The county will present their argument, the appellate will present their argument, and board members will ask any questions of the parties that they may have. Next, all speakers for the item will be called. Speakers must fill out a speaker slip online 
or is available on the table in the front of the room. The board may ask questions of any speakers, but does not permit any cross-examination or direct questioning by others. For tonight's hearing, this board has deemed the following time limits for speakers sufficient. 20 minutes for applicants of appeals. We have deemed three minutes for representatives of organizations and two minutes for individuals as sufficient. After the board has gathered all information we need and have discussed the case, we will decide the matter by voting on a motion duly made and seconded. Three votes are required to overrule the zoning administrator. Please be respectful of the time allotted. This is a public forum and tonight's meeting will be recorded and posted on the county's website. All information associated with tonight's meeting, whether spoken or written, is subject to the Freedom of Information Act requirements. Um, Mr. Bowen, we're there. Um, I believe that we have um, two cases on our agenda that are both of substantially similar materials. Yes, Mr. Kaplan, that is correct. Um, since these two cases on our agenda that are essentially the same appeal, I would like to seek unanimous consent from my colleagues to consolidate these two appeals and hear them as one hearing tonight. Hearing no objection. Um, so, Mr. Bowen, can you please call the two appeals cases? Chair, Mr. Kaplan, the case numbers are case V-11903-23-APP-1 and V-11903-23-2023-1. Case numbers are case V-11903-23-23-2023-APP-1 and V-11903-23-2023-2023-1. APP-1. Thank you. Sir? Mr. Bowen, did you say 903? Or 902. Uh, for the sake of clarity, the case numbers are V 11902 23 APP 1 and V 11903 23 APP 1. Thank you. Um, tonight, this board um, only has the power to address whether the zoning administrator was correct in her determination of the specific orders or determinations presented by the parties before us. As such, this board does not have the power to change or alter the underlying zoning ordinance or policy before us, and we would just like to ask speakers to keep that in mind when addressing their comments to the actual issues presented. Um, I assume the parties are all before us. Would, would the Ms. Vaughn, I guess, are you presenting for the county? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Sorry, I, this, did I start now? Uh, I, unless Mr. Bowen tells me that he wants to say something first. This is my first appeal, so it's been a while for me. So, <laughs> right. Nor little... Normally, in a case, we would ask for staff's recommendation, but I'm guessing we're going right to. Uh yeah, we'll go right Bye. to it. And I have some slides just to thank you. Keep things everybody focused. Yeah. <laughs> so. I'm Arlo Vavam, zoning administrator, for the record. Um, the both appeals, which we're talking about at the same time, um, have basically four main arguments. And so our response is structured the same way. So I'm just going to summarize the four main points as I see them. Um, but all the information that I'm saying is, is in the staff report. So the first issue 
uh, is with regard to um, Arlington County Code Section 23-12, which is a part of the subdivision ordinance. Um, and our position is that that is not applicable to the zoning review or issuance of expanded housing options, which I will shorthand EHO <clears throat> for the remainder, um, the issuance of EHO permits. So the text is there, but the summary to some, I would say that that section prohibits the issuance of a construction permit for a plat that doesn't meet requirements of the subdivision ordinance. Um, the zoning administrator doesn't administer the subdivision ordinance and the EHO permit does not authorize construction. So in my opinion, that is not relevant to the issuance of the EHO permit because we say actually on each permit, this does not authorize construction. You have to apply for a building permit to actually implement this. The second uh, main point discusses the requirements of Article Arlington County Zoning Ordinance Article 10.4, which is where the bulk of the EHO regulations are located. And I'm going to walk through, um, you can go to the next slide, um, an exhibit that we do have as an attachment, um, but I felt it is can be confusing. Um, and I just kind of want to walk through our process for um, a plan, a zoning plan review. So generally we start with the size of the lot. So the, the area identified, this is a pro project in the R6 district for a multifamily, two multifamily buildings. And so the relevant standards for lot size is 6,000 square feet. And the relevant standard for lot width is 60 feet. Uh, if you go to the next slide. Um, so interestingly to determine lot width, you first have to determine lot depth. Um, so this is just an excerpt from the ordinance that explains what it is, how it's measured. Generally speaking, it's the midpoint of the front lot line, straight line back to the midpoint of the rear lot line. And that is how we measure lot depth. Next slide. So for one of the lots in question, but the, the numerical values for all of these, again, are in the staff report, but for the purposes of our remarks, I'm focusing on the lot on the left, lot 12C. The lot depth is 213.36 feet, measured from the midpoint of the front lot line to the midpoint of the rear. Next slide. From there, um, there are a couple of different ways you can ascertain lot width. And so depending on the lot characteristics, um, determines which methods we use. We generally always use two, but there's a third, which I'll get to at the end, is relevant in certain situations. So the first method is just math. It's lot area divided by lot depth. Uh, for this particular lot, which is over 12,000 square feet, if you just do the math, the lot width is 57.635 feet. Next slide. The second method um, actually looks at measuring the lot width by going back to the lot depth line, finding the midpoint of that line, and then drawing a line such that it has right angles with the lot depth line across uh, to measure lot width, which we've tried to demonstrate with the highlighted um, shading area. That's where we're measuring because that point in the middle is the midpoint of the lot depth line. And when we measure it that way, um, it comes to very similar 57.63 feet. Next slide. 
However, um, the third part of the minimum lot width um, definition or measurements, um, 381B2, says when you have a lot that exceeds the minimum lot area, the minimum lot width can be computed within a portion, within, a, within the boundary of a portion of the lot that meets the minimum lot area requirement. And in English, that means, oh, is that the right? I think you might have gone too far. Yeah. And another one. It should be the blue. Yeah. Um, so the the shaded area is about seven thousand a little over seven thousand square feet, which again exceeds the minimum six thousand square foot requirement. Um, and that is the area that can be used to basically redo the calculation we just did. So um, because the lot is oversized by over two times, it's 12,000 square feet, you have the possibility or the opportunity to basically choose some portion within that larger size lot within which you have enough area that it could be its own separate lot to measure lot width. Next slide. Um, the requirement is that the substituted front lot line has to be parallel to the actual front lot line. And so the yellow shading is indicating that the substituted lot line, which is hatched, is parallel to the front lot line. Next slide. And then you basically do the same thing we just did. You find the lot depth of that kind of smaller subsection of the lot. Um, in this case, it looks like it's a little over 115 feet. You find the midpoint of that lot depth, and then at right angles measure across to find the lot width. And at that point, the lot width is 60.98, which meets the minimum 60 foot minimum lot width requirement. And for the adjacent lot, that was 61.2 feet. Next slide. Um, the third point refers to a lot of the text that um, spoke to split lot subdivisions, and I just want to clarify that there is no split lot subdivision proposed here. Um, also, the analysis that I just explained about how to, um, the third way basically to, to measure minimum lot width when you have a very large lot only applies for measuring minimum lot width. So you would not use the substitute front lot line to do anything else um, as is suggested, you, that it should be used to measure setback requirements or things of the like. Um, I think years ago, we did used to refer to front yards and front setbacks. Some years back, we changed that to street setbacks. So the appropriate setback for this lot would be a street setback from the lot line that actually abuts the street right of way, not the substitute front lot line that's only used for determining minimum lot width. Um, the full analysis of both lots and how they meet the relevant requirements is also spelled out in the report. And lastly, um, the county board has the power and authority to adopt fees. In this case, they opted not to. The county fee schedule, which is published every year when the, the um, new budget is um, prepared for the coming fiscal year, does not have a fee for EHO permits, therefore it is improper for me to issue one, um, to require one. 
Um, and that that is the power of the county board to establish or not establish fees for permits. So we didn't assess one because it hasn't been created and I don't have the power to do that. Um, did you have anything? I think that's it. And I am going to cede the rest of my time or at least a portion to the uh, property owner's attorney. Yeah, um, that I was going to see. My colleagues, do you want to hear from the property owners before the appellant or after the appellant? Just no part of that. Okay, then um, I believe, um, and we have a speaker slip for Mr. Lawson. Yes. Um, thank you for the record. I'm William B. Lawson Jr. I represent the property owner. Um, I want to thank you for the opportunity to uh, to speak here this evening. Uh, first, I want to uh, I want to thank Tad. Um, he and I met to see if maybe there was a uh, middle ground that uh, uh, that maybe Mr. Tracy could alter the plans in some way. Um, and uh, we spent some time. We talked about some ideas. Unfortunately, uh, we did not. Um, uh, we did not find a compromise, and uh, so tonight we're proceeding um, with the uh, Tad is proceeding uh, with the appeal. Um, I think the way I could be the most helpful is to uh, give some history uh, to these zoning ordinance provisions that the zoning administrator was talking about, and I'm going to go back to the time that Zork Zoning Ordinance Review Committee uh, was active. And when I was on that committee, uh, I guess it was about five years or so, it was under the leadership of Monica Craven and Jerry Prokanik, both of whom uh, were on the planning commission. We we addressed a whole lot of, of, of different uh, problems that uh, we wanted to resolve through ordinance uh, amendments. Uh, two of those were pipe stems and lot width. And pipe stems were hated by the community. And the reason is that you you had problems with driveways, you had houses behind houses. It was just a, it was not the ideal way in which to uh, provide housing for our community. And so we wanted to get rid of pipe stems. So the ordinance was amended, making it difficult to, to do a pipe stem development, uh, but they gave the alternative of, of a split lot. And so if you could have done a pipe stem, you just, cut it in half and you have two houses and they're side by side rather than one in front of the other. Um, this probably could have been done as a pipe stem, but it was not done uh, that way. Uh, the, the lots are currently pipe stems, but that is not how how this project ended up being approved. Um, in our discussions with with lot with, we had just had a case called Higgs versus Kirkbride and um, I lost that case in the Supreme Court, uh, but what the court said is you have to be crystal clear with your zoning ordinance uh, in order, uh, you have to go with the plain meaning of the ordinance. And so the county board decided it was time to come up with a different way to do lot with. And at the discussions we had at Zork, one of the points that was made by some of the members was uh, when we have these large lots, uh, and they're exactly like these lots where they're narrow but long, uh, that we ought to be able to take the minimum area and 
then do the lot width based on that minimum area. And that's exactly uh, what was done in this case. And that's uh, that's codified in section 3.1.8.B.2 uh, that that you all saw. Now the argument that when you when you use that method to calculate lot width that you now have a new setback uh, front yard setback. I think that's that's erroneous. Um, I think it's erroneous because there's no street frontage. It's done in the back of the lot, and so uh, there shouldn't be a new setback that's calculated. This uh, these two lots do meet the lot width. Now, if you apply the argument that is being made in the appeal that there is this new setback that's you start halfway back on the lot, then you're going right back to pipe stems and you're going to have houses that are, you know, um, the appropriate setback from the street. And then you have two houses that are far back and you're ending up at the same place that we tried to to stop ending up at. And I think that would have been a lot an illogical result because uh, what what was trying to be accomplished by Zork was to have a street friendly home, have a front porch, have a garage in the back and and have this sense of community. We even came up with a zoning orange provision where you could be closer to the street by measuring how far back each house is and then doing the averaging. So we were trying to do the opposite. We're trying to push the houses up front towards the street. And uh, for those reasons, I would respectfully uh, suggest that uh, you all um, uphold the determinations of the zoning administrator. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Lawson. Um, would my colleagues have any questions or should we hold questions till after the appellant speaks? Why don't we hear from the appellant? The appellant here? Yeah, we're ready for our oh, sorry. Good evening. My name is Kelly Reed, and I appreciate the opportunity to testify. I have 25 years of experience working on policy matters as an environmental lobbyist. My neighbors and I are appealing these two EHO permits because the county staff have erred in applying the zoning ordinance to these two irregular lots. This is not a pro or anti EHO case. This case has ramifications far beyond EHO and regardless of use. 
as this case is about getting the math right. It's about following the rules. It's about not cherry picking definitions. Please correct the staff's errors and reject the wrongly approved permits. To illustrate the staff's math and calculation errors, I have attached some sketches. Please remember this key math equation. Minimum lot width equals lot area divided by lot depth. And of course, lot depth is the front lot line minus the rear lot line. Sketch number one shows the lots with a front lot line along the street with a properly calculated and corresponding minimum lot width. This width is less than the required 60 feet for six units. It's only allowed for two to three unit EHOs. This is the configuration that the county staff wrongfully approved. These requests must be rejected. In sketch two, it shows if the developer wants to reapply for EHO permits and use ordinance section 3.1.8B2, the lot area must be pushed back and reduced while still being more than the required 6,000 square feet. This in, in turn pushes back the front lot line, it pushes back the lot depth and the minimum lot width, thus allowing for a 60 foot minimum lot width in the back portion of the lot. If those are the new definitions of those key, those key terms, the county staff must stick with those definitions when interpreting other ordinance sections too. That's critical. Hence, the front lot line is now 100 feet from the street and it's defined in the zoning ordinance as quote, the lot line fronting the legally required access to the lot. Please note the front line, the front lot line is not the street when you're using 3.1.8B2 in this manner. And this front lot line is used to calculate the front yard, which is defined in the zoning ordinance as, quote, a yard extending across the full width of the lot and abutting the front lot line. Please, again, note the ordinance does not say abutting the street. In sketch number three, this is what the math would look like when the county cherry picks terms and their math is wrong. This shows the staff error in selecting the street as the front lot line, but then they want to choose the pushed back minimum lot width that gets you to 60 feet. Mathematically, this would mean that the lots would need to be 310 feet deep and have a lot area each of 19,000 square feet. These lots do not exist at these addresses in Alcova Heights. This case is all about what is the front lot line. Front lot line is calculated. Then it's used to define other terms, including front yard and buildable area. So please ask yourselves, what is the front lot line being used and what is the corresponding minimum lot width? Are these the same definitions being applied consistently to all sections of the zoning and ordinance? You can test our logic. It's correct backwards and forwards and mathematically. The staff's logic passes neither a math nor consistency test. We urge you to correct their errors and reject these permits. Thank you. Okay, good evening, uh, Chairman Kaplan and members of the board. My name is Tad Lunger. I'm the attorney of record for the appellants tonight. Um, given that we've already heard the facts, I'm not going to dive into those and just dive straight into our accounts and our arguments. 
So could you go to the first slide, Ashley? Thank you, count number one, next slide, here we go. Um, so the question before you tonight is, can the zoning administrator issue a permit for a lot that does not exist? Next slide. So the zoning administrator of Arlington County cannot issue permits for lots that do not exist at the time of permit issuance. I would like to take a moment to note that the, uh, the county has raised uh, whether or not uh, an EHO permit constitutes a permit as intended under this uh, under under these rules. I would like at some point during this hearing to have a discussion of exactly what an EHO permit is then because I have other ideas if it's not a permit. Um, the permits were submitted for lots that did not exist and did not exist at the time the permits were issued. Um, for the application of the zoning ordinance, the zoning ordinance requires a lot duly created pursuant to the subdivision ordinance. It's provided in section 311A1, um, which defines what a lot is and how it's created and what's required for it to be created for, for the zoning ordinance. Um, and so in order for the zoning administrator to issue a permit for a lot, a lot must exist. A lot does not exist until it is legally created and approved according to the Code of Virginia and approved by the Subdivision and Bonds Administrator. Next slide, Ashley. The Code of Virginia sets forth the requirements for subdivision ordinances for all localities in Virginia. You'll note here that Section 15.2.22.62 of the Code of Virginia requires every subdivision plat to be prepared by a certified engineer, engineer or land surveyor who endorses upon each plat or certificate signed by him, setting forth the source of title of the owner of the land subdivided and the place of record of the last instrument in the chain of title. In our regular parlance, that means a plat needs to be stamped, signed, and sealed by a duly licensed surveyor in the, in the, in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Next slide. Here are the requirements of our local subdivision ordinance that uh, that uh, uh, follows the rules set by the state code. Again, here in the subdivision ordinance, it says you can't subdivide land until you have a plat. We just heard what a plat requires by the Code of Virginia. No permit will be issued by any administrative officer of the County of Arlington that requires a permit upon any land concerning which a a plat is required by this chapter unless and until the requirements of the chapter have been complied with. Next slide. This is uh, the exhibit that was used to approve and uh, sign the EHO permits in question. As you can see, next slide, Ashley. That exhibit is not a legally approved subdivision plat yet it was used to issue permits by the zoning administrator. It's not certified by a duly licensed land surveyor. It's not even a surveying company that provided this plat. This is a project management environment and environmental consulting group. It's not approved by the subdivision and bonds administrator, and these lots do not exist at the time of the signing of this building's permits. The zoning administrator has no authority to issue permits for lots that do not exist. Therefore, the BZA simply needs to ask itself whether these lots legally existed at the time of issuance, as the ZO requires a lot to exist before permits are issued for that lot. There is no lot by which the zoning administrator can evaluate, measure, and approve zoning ordinance requirements until it exists. Count number two.
So split lot subdivisions as an exception are not available to Article 10.4 uses. Count number two basically is a question that relates to whether Article 10.4 uses are regulated the same as traditional Article 5 uses, traditional Art Article 5 residential uses, and whether exceptions available to Article 5 uses are also available to Article 10.4 uses. So we all know that there are traditional uses that are permitted and regulated by Article 5. That's where you find the R6 zoning district and all of the residential district uses. There are now new multifamily uses that are permitted and regulated by Article 10.4 for expanded housing uses. This discussion is organized around which rules apply to Article 5 uses and which rules apply to Article 10.4 uses. The Article 10.4 use definitively requires a minimum lot width of 60 feet in the R6 zoning district without exceptions unless expressly provided by Article 10.4. The county board did not intend to make all exceptions available to traditional uses in the R6 district available to Article 10.4 uses due to the nature of the increased intensity being adopted with those with the new ordinance. Article 10.4 uses are specifically regulated by the requirements set forth in Article 10.4, not Article 10.6. If the county board wanted all the exceptions and loopholes available to single family dwellings to be available for Article 10.4 multifamily uses, it would have simply added the Article 10.4 uses to the existing R6 district regulations as additional uses and subject to the same rules that apply to R6 uses. The county board did not want to do this, so it created Article 10.4 to specifically remove and regulate multifamily uses in the R districts separately from single family dwelling uses regulations. Next slide, Ashley. So here's where they put multifamily uses for single family home districts. They put it in Article 10.4. They're put here to be regulated and and apply distinctly from all the other uses in Article 5. Next slide, Ashley. And so why were the 10.4 multifamily uses put in Article 10 and not individual amendments to each residential zoning district? As you can see on this slide, the residential use district table was not amended to include 10.4 uses. Article 10.4 uses are not permitted pursuant to the Article 5 use table. They are only permitted through Article 10.4. Article 10.4 uses are distinct rules from residential district uses that are regulated separately by the zoning ordinance. This is intentional. The official record of the county board legislative intent is also expressly provided in the county board reports at the time of adoption and provided for in the minutes of the county board hearing. The county board did not simply add Article 10.4 to the use tables. It instead it enacted an entire new section of the zoning ordinance to regulate these uses. The entire purpose for the structure of the new ordinance adopted by the county board was to ensure that these uses were regulated separately than the rules that apply to the single family home districts for these uses. Next slide, Ashley. So Article 10 uses are expressly and specifically regulated by Article 10.4. As we've stated, um, expanded housing options development is allowed within the R districts subject to the issuance of a permit 
by the zoning administrator and subject to the provisions of this sub subsection. Next slide. Article 10 multifamily uses require a minimum lot width of 60 feet in the R6 zoning district without exceptions unless expressly provided to apply to Article 10.4 uses. Exceptions to Article 10.4 requirements must expressly provide that they are in fact exceptions to Article 10.4 uses. A silent implication is not an express statement. Article 10.4 requires exceptions to be expressly stated as being applicable to these new Article 10.4 uses. Next slide, Ashley. The applicant does not meet the minimum lot width required for Article 10.4 uses per Article 10.4. Article 10.4 does not expressly provide an exception for the reduction in minimum lot width dimensional standards, i.e. minimum lot width for Article 10.4 uses. The county board did not intend this more intense multifamily use to be applied to lots that do not meet the minimum lot dimensional standards of Article 10.4. There are no exceptions to the minimum lot width provided in Article 10.4, and therefore these lots cannot be used for Article 10.4 uses. Next slide, Ashley. So what is the disagreement we're having with the county? As it relates to split lots, Article 10.4 uses cannot be used in split lot subdivisions. The county argues that the exception that the exception provided in Article 324C allows parcels to be subdivided below the minimum lot width by the zoning district for Article 10.4 uses. This is incorrect. Article 10.4 is silent as to whether the exception in Article 324C applies to Article 10.4 uses. Article 10.4 does not permit the application of exceptions unless they are expressly provided by Article 10.4. A silent, unwritten implication is not an express statement. Therefore, the use of Article 324C cannot be used to create lots for Article 10.4 uses, only for lots, only lots for uses permitted by Article 5. And if there is any doubt as to what the county board intended, this is what the county board said they meant. Placing the regulations for EHO development Article 10 rather than within the R district regulations in Article 5 allows the county to set zoning standards for EHO that are tailored for these housing types. Some standards are more restrictive, e.g. gross floor area, site layout, and design standards, modifications, et cetera, et cetera. That is the express intent of the county board. Count number three, Ashley. Alternatively, if this application is not being approved as a split lot subdivision, the county claims it can still apply the minimum lot width exception in Article 318B by substituting front lot lines to reduce lot depth and increase lot width without affecting buildable area. The Article 318B exception to minimum lot width is not expressly permitted in Article 10.4. Therefore, it may not be utilized for Article 10.4 uses for the same reasons as just provided for the Article 324C exception pursuant to the County Board's intent and legislative acts. If Article 3.18B if the Article 3.18B exception is deemed to apply, how is the applicant achieving its minimum lot width requirements? The answer is by modifying lot depth and lot area to achieve the required minimum lot width 
for Article 10.4 uses, and therefore modifying the buildable area of the lots. If lot depth and lot area are modified to achieve minimum lot width required under Article 10.4, does it affect the buildable area of a lot? The answer is yes. Put another way, can an applicant modify lot area and lot dimensions and not affect building placement? And what is the point of modifying lot dimensions and ignoring building placement requirements? The Article 3.8 B2 exception is being applied to Article 10.4 uses. 3.18 B about regarding minimum, minimum lot width provides that a portion of that lot that meets the minimum lot area, excuse me, where a lot exceeds the required minimum area for its particular zoning district, which these lots do, the minimum lot width may be computed within the boundary of a portion of a portion of that lot that meets the minimum lot area requirement. In that case, the front lot line that is substituted, so it's substituted for the original front lot line, must be parallel to the original front or rear lot lines. When the Article 318B2 exception is utilized to calculate, calculate lot width, a new substituted front lot line is created and established and must be parallel to the original front lot line, even if it does not front on a public street or right-of-way. So that begs the question, what is buildable area? The buildable area is defined, calculated, and set forth in the zoning ordinance, but in no event in the residential districts can it be located closer than 25 feet to the public right-of-way line. It may be required to be more than 25 feet from the street right of way right of way line, but not less. Building placement is governed by buildable area, not necessarily by the location of a public right of way. The location of the public right of way is only one governing factor in many scenarios, not the de determining factor. Buildable area is defined as the area of lot within which a structure can be placed and remaining after the minimum yard and open space requirements of this zoning ordinance have been met. So basically building area requires minimum yard requirements. It is what is left over after you establish your, your yards. So what is a minimum yard? Okay, a yard is an open space other than a court on a lot, which space lies between a lot line, a lot line, not a street, a lot line, and a building and is unaccompanied and unobstructed from the ground upward. Your front yard is a yard extending across the full width of the lot and abutting the front lot line, not the street, the front lot line, which we now know can be substituted. The required yard is the open space required between a lot line and the buildable area within which no structure may be located except as provided in the zoning ordinance. Simply put, lot lines are the property lines of a lot or the line between a lot and a street. A line of record bounding, a lot line is a line of record uh, bounding a lot which divides one lot from another lot or from a public or private street right of way. A lot front lot line is defined as the lot or combination of line segments fronting a street or the legally required access to the lot. This takes you to how to measure your setback line, which is defined as either a line parallel to the street at a distance there from equal to the required depth of the front yard as modified by the applicant 
or the setback required from any lot line, the relocated and substituted front lot, which defines buildable area. Thank you. Thank you. We do have some more if, you, if we had some extra time. Okay, keep going. No, we, we need to. Okay. Both, both parties have to be allotted the exact same amount of time under the uh, Virginia State Code. That's fine. Thank you. Mr. Chairman. Ms. Mellis. Uh, I assume that the additional information that Mr. Lunger had is in, in the written materials. It's in our presentation. But it's also in the packet that we received. Not the presentation, but the but the arguments. Not the pictures we've developed for this explanation, which I think would bear merit to a good discussion. I think it All right. So if if I have any more questions on your argument that's in, in here, I, I can ask you um, to to show us that. Thank you. Um so I guess now um speakers. let's do speakers. I Okay, speakers. Make your own decisions. Um, Miss Winters, I believe, is first. Hello. Okay, thank you for letting me comment on this case. I'm an urban planner with almost 30 years housing policy and development experience, and I've studied these um, these ordinances and these arguments. I'm going to talk about two things, lot width and setbacks. The appellant, first on lot width, the appellant argues that the EHO provision of Article 10 requires a width of 60 feet. I agree that it does. The question is, how do we measure lot width? Article 10.4 does not include its own definition, so it needs to depend upon the definitions established for the entire ordinance. Those are in Article 3, the density and dimensional standards. The subsection on minimum lot width, 318, includes the definition as well as how to compute the width for both typical lots and for lots that exceed the minimum area in their zoning district. The language referring to larger lots is not described as an exception, but simply a component of the instructions on how to measure lot width, which again applies to the entire ordinance. Using the standard definition, the county has accurately measured the lot width for each of the properties, and they clearly meet Article 10.4 requirement of 60 feet wide. The other subsection on lot width that covers placement, 324, does include an exception for split lot subdivisions that allows a width of 50 feet in the case of R6. But the subject properties do not need to depend on the split lot exception because they meet the standard 60 feet definition I just described. Second, on setbacks, put simply, the measurement section does, in 318 does not establish a new front lot line for purposes of a front setback. It only refers to a substitute for purposes of calculating minimum width. There is no language referring in any way to building placement. That is in another section altogether. Further, Exhibit E of the appellant's materials, which showed um, a series of examples of irregular residential lot setbacks, this, these lots are regular. They have four sides, not more. Thank you. Thank you. Miss um, Canterbury.
Good evening. Uh, I'm Jan Canterbury, and I live right next door to these properties. Uh, brief background, I'm the co-founder of a nonprofit called Building Bridges, and we welcome racial and socioeconomic diversity. We also received the James B. Hunter Humanitarian Award for our efforts. We also understand there's a vital need for growth and increasing the wage earning density in the area. However, these two permits are not aligned with the missing middle mission, and they fail to meet even the minimum legal lot width requirements spelled out by the EHO. The lawyers are gonna debate the legal complexities, but I just wanna provide some visual perspective. Currently, we have six families on our side of the block. Children ride bikes, we walk our dogs, and we don't even have a sidewalk on the street. Um, so try to imagine two three-story sixplex buildings that would triple uh, people, the cars, the trash, and the trash recycling bins that sit out on the street. This is just um, egregiously incongruent with the character of the size of this small winding street and also presents a real risk, a physical danger to us all. Uh, please forego rubber stamping these permits that violate zoning ordinance and factor in the real human concerns while making your decision. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time and consideration. Thank you. Miss Kuros, Mr. Kuros, apologies. Good evening. <clears throat> My name is Jamshid Kuros, excuse me. <clears throat> I have been an architect for 60 years. My wife and I have lived at seven, on 7th Street, South 7th Street, for 30 years. While I'm in agreement with my neighbours that these permits were wrongly approved, I am not opposed to the mis missing middle or EHO to maintain and expand the infrastructure of modern dynamic urban metropolis. There needs to be a density that can support that infrastructure. So while I am in favour of change to the density, the FAR, etc., this project is not the way to go about it. As an architect, I was taught like a doctor, do no harm. This project, if built, does a lot of harm. Egregious harm to the abutting properties, harm to the streetscape and the neighbourhood, and irredeemable harm to our park. It will become the post-child of those who oppose any change. I will, if this goes through, reluctantly join them, because this is not the way to do it. The underlying problem is that narrow, Deep lots laid out specifically for single family buildings are not conducive to multifamily buildings. The county board got this right by requiring a wider lot for four to six units than, two, than for the two to six, two to three units. However, the county staff are now contorting the rules to approve these permits. That, well, OK, I'll skip the rest, OK? I believe that these permits have been wrongly approved and would set a very detrimental precedent that would be repeated over and over again. Thank you very much. Thank you. Ms. Alvarez.
Go ahead. I'm a resident of Alcoba Heights who lives across the street from this project. Since 2003, my spouse and I have welcomed many new neighbors. Yet, we find the present situation on 7th Street very unique and incongruous with the current expanded housing option intent. Basically, going from one unit to 12 units on a half, half acre fronting a tertiary road with already poor infrastructure and at the edge of an important Chesapeake Bay watershed defies logic and it shows a real lack of urban planning. This is not what I would expect from the Arlington County Board or County Planning staff. Basic urban planners common sense uses transitions much like neighboring gradual densification along South George Mason Drive, approaching the new Central Arlington mixed-use development with 366 units anchored by Harris Theater. I recommend that the approval for the 7th Street applications is denied and that the staff revisits the qualification for EHO at higher densities in addition to upholding the minimum lot width in all relevant R zones. EHO zoning text should address where and where higher density might be allowed and not allow the dissonance of the current appeal applications. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Uzel. Okay, we're going back to math. Um, good evening, my name is Sarah Uzel and I live in Alcova Heights. The complication for staff in these particular lots are that there are two lot lines instead of one. I'll use 4019 7th um, um, as my example. In this case, 3.1.8B2, the front lot line, was moved back 104 feet and substituted for the original lot line. The lot dimensions are 209 with um, deep with a 50-foot lot frontage. The midpoint is 57 feet. When you use 3.8.1B2, and that's moved back, we end up with a 57-foot wide lot with a midpoint of 60. The front lot line is now at 100 and back from the street, 104 feet. If the front line lot line is moved forward from that from to the street it no longer meets the 60 foot minimum setback refers to the distance which a building is required to be set back from the lot line in this situation there are two front lot lines one has a midpoint of 57 and the other has a midpoint of 60. the county used the front lot line with a midpoint of 57 feet to calculate the setback by using this as the front lot line, the lot no longer meets the minimum lot requirement of 60 feet. It's only 57. 
to remove or disregard the front lot line established to achieve a lot width for the setbacks as the county did, it negates the computed lot width because it results in a lot that is no longer has that no longer has a minimum lot width of 60 feet. Again, it's 57, which it, um, 60 feet is required for the permit, so they were issued incorrectly. So thank you. Thank you. This chart is getting a lot of work. <laughs> Mr. Jones. Hi, I'm Spencer, and I have no connections to either party in this appeal. But as a renter, I am directly affected by the housing shortage in Arlington. And I strongly support the applicant's intention to build homes that people like me can one day live in. The appeal tonight largely depends on claims about the county board's intention when it created the expanded housing ordinance. I was here in this room when the county board considered the EHO. The intention of the county board was to permit the building of new multifamily housing, not prevent it from being built. I urge the board to support the zoning administrator's correct determination that this project follows the letter of the law, but it also follows the spirit of the county board in creating the expanded housing ordinance. Thanks. Thank you. Mr. Tracy. Good evening. Uh, my name is David Tracy. As Barnes mentioned, uh, this project is being undertaken by an affiliate of Classic Cottages. I'm the president of Classic Cottages. We're a locally owned Northern Virginia-based uh, builder and developer. We've been in business for 13 years. Um, although we work throughout Northern Virginia, Arlington is our primary market. Um, as a business, over the years, we have to adapt to what happens in the marketplace what the um, interests are of the folks that are buying homes. Um, when stormwater regulations change, for example, we had to change. When ADUs were approved several years ago, we started building them. And now that EHO has been approved, we look to pursue these as well. Um, we have followed all the rules and regulations that are in place to continue to move this project forward and would like to be able to do so. In all the years we've been doing this, um, building houses all over the county and ADUs, it never occurred to me that um, adjacent property owners could file BZA cases against one of our projects. Um, it's never happened before. Uh, this particular case seems to be more about the EHO policy itself, and I would respectfully ask that to the extent that, that it is the policy that's being challenged, that there's a proper venue, a larger court case that's being handled right now, and that that would take place in, during that court case. And we would respectfully ask that this project be allowed to move forward. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Pill. Um. Hi, good evening. Thank you. My name is Charles Pill. I live adjacent or right across the street from the two lots that we're talking about. Um, I've been an urban planner for a little over 30 years. While the intent of the EHO is, I think, very valid, and uh, one of the other speakers just before me or two mentioned, um, you know, we should go ahead and go forward with it. I really feel that the county is flying. Why building? 
and that the zoning ordinance and its application and some of the arguments that are being presented here tonight are, are really about good planning principles and the issues of the dissonance of putting 12 units on a half acre, not on an arterial. There is nothing in the EHO that talks about where densification should be concentrated. And for me, that's my history of the Arlington Way and thinking through how do we deal with changes like this. And I really encourage the BZA to consider what the conversation is here tonight. And I think that the board should be directed to work with staff to figure out how are we operationalizing this and not having more of these interjections and time and confusion that you all have to deal with. So thank you. Thank you. Ms. Kuntz. Hi, good evening. I was never aware that we had so many contortionists in the county. I've never seen cherry picking data like this. We go to the third way to measure just to get within inches of the minimum, inches. We're not even more than a foot over the minimum when we go to the third way of measuring width. The permit before you is a travesty. The damage that would be done, the environmental impact of this project on a wooded bluff overlooking a very vulnerable watershed would be terrific. Runoff is already a problem and the county has spent dear money trying to remediate some of the, the drainage problems that we know that we have in that very base of the hill where this will be built. This is not the place to stretch the limits, not the place to see just how much we can squeeze in if we measure it just right. This is the wrong place to do that. It would be a travesty. This is a wooded lot over sensitive watershed. Go ahead, pave over paradise. I mean, this is classic. This is a terrible decision. I don't know if there's much to like about plopping six plexes in the middle of a block like this, but not this block, not this block. I walk the path below it along that stream and it's tenuous how we can walk it if it's, if it's been raining at all. It's terrible. And this will devastate all of the work that the county has put in to try to ameliorate and remediate the damage done already. Thank you. Thank you. And lastly, Mr. Theo. <clears throat> Good evening. Uh, I spent the past couple of years as a grassroots advocate for EHO missing middle housing. Uh, my role was much easier than the one before you today. Uh, you have my sympathy and I don't envy your position. Uh, but concerns about the character of the neighborhoods, infrastructure improvements, trash and recycling, tree canopy and others are not issues for you to worry over. Uh, don't worry about attempts to relitigate EHO 
or insert politics into your job here today. The county staff and board took all of those issues into account when they unanimously approved EHO last year. And they determined that every neighborhood benefits from EHO housing. But I wanna point out a red flag with the appellant's case. There are complaints that the county did not charge a fee for this EHO development. As staff has explained, they're not authorized to do so per the EHO package approved this past March. This is a glaring error on their point, and it shows that the rest of the applicant's claims should be carefully scrutinized by this body. Therefore, don't take any of it at face value. Do your due diligence. You're here for a reason and get to the facts, the, the math, and also the interpretations and the intents of the county board when they passed EHO last year. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Bowen, was that the last speaker we have? Thank you. Consolidated the two appeals tonight. Uh, we did lose half of our presentation. Should have had on the docket 20 minutes for each appeal. We were only allowed to speak. After you these, I mean, these appeals were also submitted with the exact identical paperwork. So like all of the issues are literally identical and that's why this board made the decision to consolidate them to a single appeal. We can vote on it. I mean, it, I'm not interested in another. I mean, I, I would entertain a motion, but I would not be interested. I think that we're going to spend yeah. a good amount of time asking questions now. Right. So um, I'll just who would like to start asking questions? Start with Inta so that she can get going. To start with Inta because I know you have tons. So just start. I would think it's a good idea for you to start. Okay. No, no, I would like for you to start so we can get yours going. Um, I have questions, but I have to gather some thoughts. Okay, I I have so, questions. Please. Um, no, it's on. Okay. So my questions are, you know, for both parties, but I want to start with Ms. Vaughn. Um, just kind of random questions that I thought of as, as I was reading this. If there was a single family home being proposed on each of these lots, a traditional single family home, how would your process have been different? I really don't wanna get into a lot of hypothetical analysis on the spot. If we can avoid that, that would be great. Not hypothetical, it's just, do you do it? This proposal is not for a single family development, right? It's for an EHO very specific project. So I don't I'm a I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to rush through it. I don't you know, I don't want to get into what I would do for a scenario that's not before us okay. if, if possible. So I guess what I was getting to was the EHO permit. Is are, is that unique to EHOs or do single family homes also have permits from you like this? 
there is no that I can think of. There is no comparable zoning land use entitlement permit as opposed to a building permit that we issue for single family development. Okay. And so the per the purpose of the EHO permit was unique to. So we have accessory dwelling permits. That's probably the closest comparison where you still also have to get a building permit. Um, but I think it was a similar approach and that that was something new that the county hadn't done before. It had additional standards. And so we created a land use, a zoning permit only. Um, and similarly, I think the the rationale for both is when both were created, there was a cap. And so having a separate permit, which we could manage not exceeding the cap was the way that we decided to do it. So that's, that is fairly unique. Those are the only two that I can think of that have caps that had one had a cap um, that have their own special zoning permit that then after that point, you still have to apply for a building permit to actually construct. And part of issuing the permit is, is zoning staff reviews the application to see that it conforms. Yes. Before the permit is issued. Yes. Okay. Um, so how do you view chapter 10.4? Um, do you, is that a standalone zoning ordinance? That's the argument the applicant has made that it's, it's, it's an article. It's a section within the larger zoning ordinance, but it, yeah. I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd say it's standalone, it's its own section. So when it uses terms like ex unless expressly permitted within that section, how do you interpret that? So the zoning ordinance has a lot of regulations. There are times where there are conflicts or there are similar um, rules. And so I, I believe the, the point of 10.4 is to say if it's EHO, this is where you look first. And if there, if there for example, was a, another type of development in an R5 that had or R6 that had different lot width requirements or different, you know, different requirements, you look to 10.4 for EHO specifically. If there isn't a standard there, then you might have to look other places. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm I'm getting. I'm confused by the ordinance when it says unless expressly, you know, discussed or called out in that section. Can you point to where you're talking to? I was going to ask the same question. It's in the it's in the ordinance language. It's in our presentation. I'm sure it's also in the ordinance. <laughs> I can, yeah. I, I can look it up, but I'm that's what I was reacting to was his highlighting of the. And. Right, correct. It's 10.4.4. And it provides. By right development in accordance with, is that what you're talking about? I write the <clears throat> Shall the same day 
but they will, they shall, as a, a 400 years of common law, Virginia Supreme Court says what shall mean, shall mean shall, comply with the following standards, except as otherwise expressly allowed or stated. That means it has to be in writing. Are you answering the question or am I answering the question? I think he's, he's <laughs> I mean, I don't know which, which would you prefer? Do you have the citation now in front of you? Uh, I'm looking at 1044A, by right, by right development in accordance with section 10.4 shall comply with the following standards, except as otherwise expressly allowed or stated in this ordinance. Okay. Is that what you're referring to? So that is some text that precedes a table that has a, a list of standards that vary by district for very specific things like side area, a lot with height um, and so forth. And so these are the standards that comply unless it's explicitly or expressly stated or allowed um, elsewhere with a different standard. So there would have to be some very specific provision somewhere else that says something different. Otherwise, this is what applies. All right, and that means what exactly in your mind? Just what I said. I, that, but that means that you look to other parts of the ordinance when this section isn't clear to you or doesn't cover what you, you know, what you need. I don't think that's exactly what this is saying, but yes, practically that happens. You, you have to comply with everything. So 10.4 is a section of the ordinance, but there are other parts that are relevant as well. Okay, yeah, I, I guess I can't ask you what the intent of the board was when they wrote that, right? Shell expressly what, what they were trying I to- I think they were trying to make sure they didn't miss anything, frankly, because it's 400 pages of text. And so if somewhere there was something that was very particular that they didn't address here, they, it gives an avenue for if there's some other standard that's very specific, um, we're not gonna leave it out. So this is what we want people to follow unless basically there's some other standard somewhere that very specifically allows something different. Because, and I, I will actually defer to Anne on this, the, I believe the, the legal standard is the more specific. If there's a conflict, um, it's often you have to go to the more specific regulation to figure out which, which one to, to utilize. Okay. Um, would the order of um, recording the subdivision have make a difference in the ultimate outcome? In other words, if it had already been recorded, would it would your calculations and be the same? If, if the, the dimensions, already, I mean, if that was if, already subdivided as it's going to be proposed, the argument is that because it had that it's your permit's not valid because it hasn't gone through that formal process yet. Had it gone through the formal process, would your determination be different? Again, you're you're asking 
<laughs> about a, a hypothetical. If the blot had the same characteristics yes. physically, yes. I don't see how we would come to a different conclusion. Okay. That's all I'm asking. Is 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 the timing significant in terms of how you make a decision? No, and it's not uncommon to so zoning staff review subdivision requests. We don't approve them, but we're a one of the reviewers. Um, and so it's not uncommon for us to write a note about things, frankly, for a subdivision request that don't meet um, zoning requirements, right? And even though the subdivision ordinance is not the zoning ordinance, they can approve it with the note that says, this is a problem for zoning. So similarly, we can approve a zoning permit and say, you're gonna have to get this lot recorded before you can build anything, but it's kind of your risk to go forward and get a sense of whether the land use entitlement is possible before you take the step of actually finalizing the recordation of the lot. It's their choice if they wanna pursue it to fulfill all the steps necessary to actually build something. But we do note that in order to move forward ultimately to construct this, you will you will have to take care of that step. But it's not a zoning ordinance requirement. And so we couldn't deny it based on a provision of the subdivision ordinance. We would have no grounds to say no because you haven't complied with some other ordinance. We leave the people who manage that ordinance to make sure it will meet those requirements. Okay, thank can, you. Can I jump in real quick? Sure. D does that have to happen before a building permit is issued? Yes. And is a building permit um, appealable to the BZA? They have their own appeal board, I right. believe. So th this board would not have authority or jurisdiction to hear a building permit appeal. Well, they would. They could, I believe, and I believe you have heard appeals of a zoning. On a zoning, understood. Authorization, as applied to a building. A related zoning yeah. issue, and yeah. and so for for the I guess for the, you know, the count one or or issue one is, um, whether whether this board's you know determines that we have um, jurisdiction over that issue, right? And that I guess that's an open question for us to discuss. I know that. You know, each, each of the parties have their own position. Yes. Okay. It's, I guess just following up. So if, if let's say the subdivision process ran into, in the course of the subdivision, there was some kind of a problem, would it then come back to you? If, again, if the characteristics of the lot changed such that it was different than what we reviewed the first time, then yes, we'd have to look at it again. And would that revoke your EHO permit? I can't remember if we would, if our process allows, I don't think our process at this point allows revisions. They might have to start over. Okay, but but, that, um, but it would get another review. And, 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 and so the EHO permit would no longer be valid? Because they would be, proposing something different than what was authorized. Right. Yeah. That's my questions for for staff, you know, and then um, we might turn to the applicant. I have a, I don't, a kind of comment or comment that you might want to comment on that might turn into a question, right? So 10.4.4, the chart of types of standards has R6 at 60 minimum, minimum lot width which 
is identical to just a normal R6 lot, right? And so I'm having trouble with, you know, what that was put in and it it is the same as the normal R6 lot, right? And so I'm trying to trying to figure out then do the three dot um one dot one dot eight, I believe, um, the lot with calculations, then apply on top of you know this very specific um R six sixty. Right. So three one eight applies to any lot anywhere. And that's it's where a, it's just telling people how to measure things. That, yeah, and that's that's where I'm going. And then so so then I started looking at some other provisions in um 10.4 EHO versus normal. And like for example, um um street front setbacks are all 25 feet for EHO and R6 in 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 and accessory structures. But the difference is is in 3.2.6.a.1.e that actually specifically says that. It actually says for all one and two family dwellings, all expanded housing option developments are subject to 10.4 and their accessory structures. But 3.1 doesn't say that regarding lot width, the lot width calculations. So I'm trying to square those two, those two concepts. Again, 318 is how lot width is measured everywhere in every district. There's no dis distinction between how we measure lot width in R6 versus R5 versus anywhere. So there's no need to specify but because the, it's it's the same. Couldn't the same have been said for the front setbacks though? So where are you looking when you're talking about front setbacks? 3.2.6.a.1.e. So 3.2.6 is placement standards. That's not how you measure. No, that's no, that's right, the I, actual standard, so that it does, right. it's not. Right, but it's I'm, a completely different thing, right? right. That, that, that's my <laughs> it's point. It's telling you that's what exactly. they are, not how to do it. That's what that I mean. That's my point, though, is that for for three dot six dot a dot one dot e, the the county board was very specific in saying for ten dot four, this applies. It's twenty five feet, but they weren't so specific for lot width. Okay. I. I don't know what the question is. That I mean, I, that's why I was. Okay. That's why I said I have you know, kind of a comment, and and if you had any thoughts to add to that, right? So that's what you know on on that particular issue. That's kind of what I'm trying to square for myself is whether whether three dot the lot width in I guess three dot one, three dot eight, whatever the lot width um um code section is, um applies to the newly enacted EHO, even though there's no specific mention of it. And I think that's the issue that we're going to grapple with tonight. Can I ask a question? Please, Ms. Rothers. Was the intent of the county to contort the math so that you could grant this permit? Uh, it's always best that I not speak about county board intent. No, I mean the in issuance of the permit. Would you got, were you guys trying to mess with the math to make this work, or did you follow the normal procedures? It's the normal procedure. This this provision has been in the ordinance since the the 60s that allows for an alternate measurement on oversized lots. It's not new. It was there before EHO was granted. And what uh, do you guys do? How do you choose which method you're going to use? Do you, if you don't get it the first time, like the, with the first two methods, we weren't at 60, but then you have this alternative one to try to work with people? Yes. Okay. If it meets the requirements. Right, if it's right. a lot that has larger than the, the minimum required lot size, it's, it's not an option if you have a 6,000 square foot lot. Got it. 
Thank you. Does anyone else have any more questions for the county? Have any questions for the appellant? Mm -hmm. Miss Mouse, was that not? <laughs> sure, I'll, I can start. <laughs> um, Mr. Longer, yes. if you want to come forward, I just want to. So, you know, you, I think I understood you made an argument that, you know, what is expressly in 10.4.4. And the zoning administrator has pointed out that the method of measurement is not included in there. Why do you object to the, me the method of measurement that they use since no measurement is, is included there? So the discussion's been revolving around whether or not the county board intended to have an exception that was not made part of Article 10.4 applicable to a 10.4 use. If the county board, the, the enactment of this ordinance is almost self-evident. If the county board wanted us to apply all of the exceptions to Article 10.4 that we apply to all these other uses that have been previously established in Arlington County, this is a new use. It's a much more intense use for these zoning districts than have been there before. The county board recognized that. They went into this very carefully. The last thing they wanted were for guys like me and respectfully Barnes to have the opportunity to turn every lever and, and pull and or turn every knob and pull every lever in the ordinance as far as exceptions go when it came to these new multifamily uses in the single family what it had been single family home districts what the county board did is in article 10.4 they specifically in in the ordinance listed all the exceptions that applied explicitly to article 10.4 exceptions to article 10.4 to a use for Article 10.4 are in 10.42a, 10.44b, 10.44c2b, 10.46, 10.46a2, 10.46a3, 10.46a4, 10.46e2. Those are the express exceptions to Article 10.4 that the County Board adopted with Article 10.4. If it's not expressly and intentionally incorporated as an exception to article 10.4 the county board's intent was to block the use of that exception because they did not know how far and wide those exceptions would take this use until this ordinance had been applied and, and used for a period of time I, I still don't if if the if the method of measurement there's three options of measuring and if the method of measurement isn't called out in 10.4.4 how can you say that the method that they use is wrong. Well, the, so the, the method that's used is outlined in 318B. But is there any method outlined in, in that section? There's a method outlined in that, in that section, and then there are exceptions to that method. So, and okay. they're applying the exception to that method. Can, so can you give that code site? Yeah, let's look at this. Let's look at the citation there where it outlines the method. So we are in section 318. No, no in 10.4.4, is there 
a discussion of how we measure? No, it, it gives the dimensions, but not the measurement okay. method. Right. That's that's what I was trying to trying to figure that's out. Right. Okay. So, so then your position is since there is no there there the statute doesn't speak the ordinance doesn't speak to that in 10.4. So then where do we go? Well, there is there is a method, but what we're being asked to what's the method? The method is for lot width. Yes, it's lot depth divided by or and lot where is that by lot depth in three one eight in three one eight. Yes, we're talking. I was talking about. OK, lot width. There's three places lot width is discussed or three methods. Right. And that's what I was trying to get to uh, okay. the exact ordinance. OK, of, OK, where do we go now? Right. So I think we're getting there. OK, it's defined in one sentence in three one eight A. And that is the method by which you measure. That is the it's 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 measurement is defined. I'm looking for it. No worries. Mr. Chairman. Ms. Ms. Freshman. As I understood the pre from the presentation, it's not included in 10.4 because it's included in elsewhere in the zoning ordinance and applies to every section. And this is just a new section which would use the same three alternatives. I think that's I think that's that's the question, I think. That's the question. I, I don't think it's a question. I just stated a fact. Well, I, I, I thought it was a fact. Right. And I, I think the point is, is that if the county board had not wanted to enforce the strict 60 foot lot width minimum, we wouldn't even have an article 10.4. We would simply just add EHO, EHO uses to the use table for the R districts. Then every one of the, these exceptions would apply to all EHO uses. The reason the county board took the multifamily uses out of the single family use out of the R, R district use table was so that these rules, the rules they were going, they set for 10.4 were to be applied in 10.4. Understood. Except that the method of measurement isn't in 10.4. That's right. It's in 318A. It's, it's so why? Don't the, why aren't the three choices equally applicable? The, well, there's a rule and then there are exceptions. And this exception exception was not referenced or ex expressly included in Article 10.4. You call it an exception. It's just an alternative, right? Um, if I may, 3.1.8 A says defined. That's the sentence that defines minimum lot width. 3.1.8a defined minimum lot width is the distance determined by dividing the lot area by the lot depth. Definition for my testimony definitely applies across the entire zoning ordinance. You need to use the same definition throughout the, the whole zoning ordinance. 3.1.8b are not definitions. They are alternative methods of calculating the minimum lot width. And so what we're saying is the definition applies, but these alternative means don't apply because there's no sentence in here that says that these apply to 10.4. As the chairman pointed out in other sections, they expressly do say these exceptions, alternative ways or exceptions apply to 10.4. And then alternatively, if you do, apply that minimum lot width exception, 
then you have to redefine how you calculate buildable area. Because once you do that, you change every aspect of a lot. If you use that exception, you establish a new front lot, front lot line, then you establish new lot depth, you establish new lot width, you establish new lot area, you establish a new front yard, you establish a new setback line, and most importantly, what all that does is it affects your new buildable area. Your building placement is not governed by your front setback. It is governed by your buildable area. Your buildable area can be lots of places on a lot. It, in fact, cannot be any closer than 25 feet to a street right of way, but it can certainly be a lot farther than 25 feet from a street right of way. The entire once once you, if you apply this exception, one, we don't think the exception applies. Two, if you do apply it, you have to change how you're calculating your buildable area. And I can walk you through that very detailed if there is a question about that. And if I may add to that, to the question that was asked earlier, the question was asked, has the county for decades been merely using 3.1.8 B2 as a paper exercise and then not considering it when you go to figure out buildable area? Right. And the county answered, yeah, we've been doing it that way for, for years. That's incorrect. The this is the section 3.18B2 is the only thing that gives you guys in the county the teeth to enforce on pipe stems that they can only build in the larger pipe and not in the stem. This is the same provision. It says we can go back into a pipe and get the necessary lot width, but then the front lot line moves back. And then this provision gives you, and then what we're saying is you have the teeth that is not a paper exercise. Now you've redefined front lot line. That gives you the teeth to then say your front yard is now this, and now your buildable area is this. It's back in the pipe. If it were true that the county were not enforcing this provision, and it was in fact a paper exercise for decades, then they would be allowing developers and individuals to put buildings in the narrow stem that is merely the access to the buildable area. So you guys would lose your ability, this, this would set a terrible precedent for you guys to enforce people to build in areas that are wide enough to meet the minimum lot width. So what we're asking for is consistent with decades of practice to your question earlier about how would you handle this with single family homes. And you have to push back into the wider area of the lot. And we, we, we how this has been applied consistently is a matter of record. We've reviewed over 100 lots. We have a demonstration of an existing lot under the same circumstances and how building area was calculated and how that building was then therefore placed. This has not been applied to Article 10.4 uses before. This is a case of first impression for 10.4 uses. But for single family homes, it changes the building, the buildable area, and it changes where that the location of where that that home can be on a lot. The buildable area is the place where, pursuant to the zoning ordinance, you can put a house and meet all of your placement requirements. All of your placement. It does not allow you to put the house in the narrowest part of the lot simply because they moved an imaginary line back into the back of the lot to justify not having enough lot width. And we can show that to you too. If you'd like to see that, we can walk you through exactly how a house that someone is living in today was required to follow these same procedures. And we have over a hundred of these.
in Arlington County that we've reviewed. Mr. Chairman. Ms. Freshman. Can we, we hear from Mr. Lawson? Sure. Mr. Lawson. Yes, thank you. Okay, oh, this is yours. Um, pipe stems uh, have their own unique uh, regulations. And to build a house in a pipe stem, you need to go to the county board for a use. I think it's a use permit or a site plan. I can't remember which. Um, and uh, as part of those Zork amendments that I was talking about earlier, when you have a pipe stem in the big part of the lot, uh, you have uh, uh, doubled setbacks. You have much greater setbacks than are normal in order to encourage you to go split lot instead of building the house behind the house like we were talking about. Um, one of the things I wanted to share is that there are, I'm, I'm from, like six months ago, um, I did a subdivision where we did exactly what uh, Mr. Uh, Tracy did, where he took the rear part of the lot and created the 60 foot measurement because it was an oversized lot. Six months ago, I did one of those that got approved and a house got built. And one of the things that, that I wanted to share is um, there's a case called uh, Masterman versus BZA. And what that case says is that uh, when you have a zoning ordinance and it's been administered by the zoning staff for many, many years, and they've handled it in a certain way, uh, that you have to go with that because that's now part of the law. And so we have the, when you're looking at zoning ordinances, you have the ordinance and then you have the determinations and you can't, you know, have a new zoning administrator. I don't like the way that zoning administrator did. I'm going to change it. You have to apply the way it's been interpreted for all these years. And that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. It's not what happened though. <laughs> I have a question. Ms. Mouse. I have a question for, um, um, Ms. Vaughn, uh, I'm did you get a copy of the handout from um, Ms. Uzel's testimony? Wait, I couldn't hear the name. Sarah Uzel. Have it now. All right. She made the argument that, you know, that, that, the, the front lot line and the width are, are somewhat codependent, that if you move one, then you can't keep the other. Could you, could you talk about how you see that? I don't have time to read this, and I don't remember that comment. Okay, I, so, so it says if the, front line, if the front lot line is moved towards the street, it no longer meets the 60-foot minimum lot width and I, I assume that it is referring to the dimension the, the the buildable area I guess I don't I don't know what you I don't know what is meant by if you move the front lot line towards the street I don't know I don't know what that means so in in the example here the front lot line there moves. is only one front lot line Okay. Okay. That. The the method of measurement in 3.18 B2 allows you to use strictly for the purpose of establishing lot width on an oversized lot a substitute 
front lot line only for that purpose as called out in that section. Okay. The front lot line of the lot hasn't changed. There is a substitute front lot line that that specific section says you can use to determine lot width only if your lot exceeds the minimum allowed and only if it's in a boundary, a portion of the lot that actually is the same size or more as what a lot would is minimum, the minimum lot size requires. So there's multiple things that have to happen for this option to even be exercised. And it only refers to minimum lot width. It's not applied anywhere else. It doesn't change what the front lot line is, and it doesn't change how we measure setbacks, which are in a completely different section. And if there was some sort of exception as the appellant's attorney is calling it, it would be labeled exception, which actually is the case in 3.24, which keeps coming up for split lot subdivisions. It's very clear what an exception is, because that's what we call it. There is no exception in 3.18. Thank you. Any members have any more questions or should we close the public portion of this and discuss? Okay, I guess it's with the board. I mean, you got a chance to say anything, show anything to rebut that? Is anyone? We just heard from one, we just heard from the county, but we haven't had a chance to explain our opinion. Wasn't the question directed at the county? Who, who at? Was that, Ms. Malice, was that your question? Are you referring to my question just now? And if you're only going to ask the county, we could have dialed in. Well, I'm, I'm interested in your response if, okay. if you want to. I would love jump to jump in. Meg, sure. Meg, Megan, would you, could you bring up an exhibit to help me explain this? You uh, bring up uh, page 27. So this is what I was just talking about. So what the applicant is doing is they're re redefining the buildable area. Again, the buildable area is what governs building placement on the lot. And that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about the front set setback. We're talking about the what, how you calculate the buildable area of a lot. There's a buildable area and a non-buildable area. And the core component of what we're claiming is that they have placed their building in a non-buildable portion area of the lot. All of these factors that define your buildable area or uh, here in front of you in, in bullet point. Megan, can you go to the next the next page? This is a very good slide. It's a good visual. So this shows for, for a standard lot, right, which your minimum lot area is 6,000 feet and your required minimum lot width is 60 feet. Lot width is defined in 318A as lot area divided by lot depth. That's based and this is this is their two lots based on the lot the de defined definition of lot of of um, lot width they only if you if you take the the lot depth the lot area and divided by the lot depth you get 57 feet which is a substandard lot in the R6 district Megan can you go to the next slide this is in fact what they're doing they are revising the subdivision based on an application of an exception for a substitute and modified substituted and modified front lot line in order to reduce the lot depth 
So your, your, I'm sorry, your position is that when in, in any normal lot, not not Niho lot, but in a single family home lot, that if 318B2 applies, then the front setback gets reset to a new to, to to that new line? No, your front your front setback can never be less than 25 feet from a, a public right of way, a public street right of way. That's its absolute minimum. You're, I'm sorry, you're saying that the buildable area gets reset. The buildable area gets reset. You redefine the lot depth, you redefine the lot width, you redefine the lot area, and you redefine the front lot line. Next, next slide. Can you just go to this? This is what happens. When you move that lot line, you wind up with a buildable portion of the lot, with a portion lot with buildable area, and a portion of the lot that does not have buildable area. The area in the, in the blue at the top accommodates all of the required placement requirements for an R6 district that has the that has the required lot area, the required lot width, the required lot depth. That is now becomes a conforming buildable area for the purposes of building placement. Next slide, just real quick. This is a comparison of what's being proposed versus that new buildable area. And again, we're not talking about the setback. We're talking about the buildable area. I'll show you in real time what this looks like. Can you go to the next slide, Megan? So here's your like, a quick example, but you can skip past this to the next one. So keep going. All right, there you go. So here is a precedent at 2718 25th Street. And here what you have, and this is an existing lot with a house. This is this is an application of these rules in real life in Arlington County. This is an R10 zoning district. It's got a required minimum lot area of 10,000 square feet and a required minimum lot area of 80 feet. This lot, in fact, has a lot area of 14,000 feet, so it's greater than its minimum. So this exception applies to, to reduce the lot width because it has more lot area. And if you reduce if you if you if with with a lot area of 14,404 feet if you divide that by 215 feet of lot depth this lot is substandard from a lot width standpoint it cannot meet its minimum lot width requirements it's 67 feet instead of 80 feet Megan can you go to the next slide here's what happens when you apply the building or the buildable area regulations in the zoning ordinance and again, this is for an R10 zoning district. The requirement. What, I'm sorry, but what's your what's your authority for that? As opposed to the builder didn't just place it there because that it, it's a wider building on a on a wider part of the lot. Because all of these numbers, all of these dimensions match up exactly to meet the requirements of the ordinance. So of of, of B2. So your approximate modified lot area is 10,000 square feet. And if you if you reduce your lot width to 25 feet, you have an approximate lot width of 80 feet, which is your required lot width. Um, and it shows your modified area, which is still meets the minimum lot standards. Your substituted front, front lot line where you see you see the building is set back from the, the modified front lot line and. It all works and do you know when that house was built? Um, was it even subject to this ordinance? Well, this these placement requirements have been around for decades, as the zoning administrator just said. These these have been around since the 50s. These are for single family homes. These are required of single family homes. Miss Vaughn, 
Um, I know that you you said you don't want hypotheticals, but this I think this was kind of the, one of the purposes of uh, Miss Malice's hypothetical is if if this was a single family home, or is it is this going to be computed the same way? So I don't know what I'm looking at or no, where I'm, I'm it not, is. I'm, not, <laughs> um, I'm speaking to the general issue here, not this specific, right? So if there is a lot that is oversized for the district that it's in, they can certainly exercise that option. Right. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was unclear. Um, okay. The, the, this um, 31318B2 um, uh, is is the county asserting that a single family home in on the same lot. Any would any be, project. Right. Okay. Would, would not reset the buildable area in this circumstance. As as the appellate. So three point one eight is in the section for you know measurement. It is not right. Placement requirements. It does not change anything that regulates where buildings are placed, which is in a completely different section. So the requirements for placement are separate from the requirements for how we measure things, and one does not modify the other. Okay. I don't understand how changing measurements doesn't modify things. I mean, the whole the whole point of having a substituted front lot line is for the purposes of measuring lot width only right, and to establish the buildable area the no, the definition it's, of it's to area. measure lot width because that's the section that it's in we aren't redefining the front lot line i'm going questions and answers should be directed to the board not not um, be engaged with each other please thank you all right so hold on Buildable area. Ms. Mouse, um, have you gotten the answers that you were seeking from this, or do you have anything further? I can't remember my question. <laughs> buildable area is, defi is defined in Section 311B of the Zoning Ordinance. Buildable area is the area of a lot within which a structure can be placed and remaining after the minimum yard requirements, yard and open space requirements of this zoning ordinance have been met. A yard is the area that lies between a lot line and a building. It doesn't say the street. It says a lot line. And is unoccupied and unobstructed from the ground upward. I'm sorry. Can I interrupt for a second? If you don't know the what the question is, then what what are we listening to? Do we have any idea? I think. Does it? Does anyone have any further questions for anyone? No. So I'm gonna. Um, discussions now with the board. Great. I'll go ahead and make a my um, Ms. Arthur's, my please. two cents. Yep. Uh, Mr. Tracy, Mr. Pill, and Mr. Theo accurately pointed out tonight that this isn't about math, despite what the appellants and their supporters are purporting it to be. This appeal is about opposition to the passage of EHOs by the elected county board. The appellants have chosen to nitpick the application and permit and permit as a way to undo the will of the county board. The zoning administrator's approval of this permit was based on what the elected county board approved. This appeal has zero business being in front of the Board of Zoning Appeals. This needs to be adjudicated in the courts, which I believe is already occurring. I don't see any way that the Board of Zoning Appeals can overrule the zoning administrator's issue permit, given what we know, and given that this is definitely a policy change that the appellants would like. So I will not be over voting to overturn the zoning administrator's issuance. 
Any further members? Ms. Mellis? Yeah, I, I do not associate myself with the uh, comments of my colleague about whether this is just a run at a policy decision. I think some very legitimate concerns have been raised um, in terms of just, you know, how things are, are calculated and, you know, what, what the predictability of the EHO ordinance really is. And I think that's kind of what it's coming down to is that um, the applicants expected this to be a little bit more predictable than it is. I, I can speak for myself. I probably would be in the same camp that I thought it would be more predictable in terms of outcome. But, you know, you call them loopholes. Unfortunately, they seem pretty real. I mean, you know, it's, um, you know, alternate me methods of measuring are real. Uh, I think it's a um, unfortunate that this is coming out at this point in time that there are these alternatives that maybe people at the time did not understand. Um, you know, I as a board member here don't deal in intent. You know, I really have to stay with the black and white of what the ordinance says, not what the, you know, the board intended or, you know, or um, the public, you know, either supporting or opposing, in, you know, thought was intended. So, you know, I think this is legitimate for us to look at the black and white here, because uh, certainly there are ramifications beyond these cases. Um, if nothing else, um, depending on how this board votes, it has raised awareness of the fact that you know, things aren't as cut and dried as maybe people thought they were when they were looking at um, the missing middle um, policy. Uh, but I, you know, I have to, if I'm looking at it black and white, I'm, a, I'm probably, I probably am as confused as the applicant in terms of what is the, what is the intent here? Um, but, you know, reading what is before me, I, I think that the zoning administrator has followed the zoning ordinance. Um, whether whether we like that or not, you know, or we appreciate the outcome, um, that's a completely separate matter for, for this board. You know, that's for another board. Thank you, Ms. Malice. Um, is any, anyone else? Ms. Freshman. Um, I'm, I understand that the uh, various methods for calculating the lot um, width um, have been established for some time and apply to all zoning categories. So I don't think it's unique to this particular somewhat controversial policy. And if it's determined that these are two buildable lots, then the proposal needs to meet all the usual standards, or sadly, they might be back here, um, in which case I think they would find little sympathy. But then that's my particular bent that is you're familiar with, that when you start from a blank piece of dirt, I don't see any reason why you can't 
come up with a proposal that doesn't require exceptions. But if that if they come back, we can have that argument then again. But as such, I would um, uphold the zoning administrator's decision. Miss, you have anything to add, Ms. Clark? Uh, My mic is on. Is on. Okay, I, I agree with um, Judy's comments, and particularly with the zoning administrator's decision in this. I understand that everything was not as predictable from the past because this is new with the EHO. But I think what's been done has has followed the guidelines that as the best we could. That I don't see the BZA in not upholding what the zoning administrator has agreed to. Thank you, Ms. Clark. Um, I I tend to agree. I mean, I, I as my questioning alluded to, I have real concerns about uh, 10.4.4, um, the by right language that the appellant cited versus um, the 1.8 language of um, how to determine lot width definition versus exception. In, in the uh, ordinance um, section three, it didn't say exception, right? It said definition, and then it just went on to the, to explain how to do it. And so, like that's that's kind of where I'm uh, falling on there. If it said exception, then that might be a, uh, another story in my mind. Um, but I think you know, I think that's a real issue that uh, the county board should address. Um, you know, should they find the opportunity to, to to clarify some of these issues? And I'm sure more of that will will come up in the future. Um, the fourth issue, the fee issue. Um, the for me the operable word in the the statute it, it ends with with the schedule adopted by the county board. It doesn't doesn't mean that the county board has to have a fee. It just means that the fee has to be charged with the schedule adopted by the county board. At least that's my view. Um, so, you know, I, I I don't think that the county board would have um, forgot to charge a required fee if they um, to, to not allow any of these um, EHO projects to get approved. Um, the issue number three, I, this is not a pipe stem lot, so I think that 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 is, I agree with the uh, with the zoning administrator in that respect. Um, I already spoke to issue two. Um, issue issue one, um, the issue of whether the um, plat needs to be approved, signed, and sealed before um, an EHO permit is issued. I mean that that is not ripe for this because that has to be done before the building permit. So I'm not sure that that makes sense for us to to weigh in on that because it's just not right for us to decide. And so those are those that's kind of where I stand. Um, I think there are real issues here, so I, I I don't associate myself with some of the other comments of my colleagues. Um, I do think that there are real real issues here. But as I said in my opening remarks, we we as a board have to um, go with the state law that says the determination of the administrative officer or zoning administrator shall be presumed to be correct by the BZA. And I think that the zoning administrator has established that that um, that's you know section uh, three three um, is how um, lot width is is calculated in this case and and every other case. Motion. So, Ms. Freshman, please. I move the board of zoning appeals uphold the decision of the zoning administrator. A motion made by Ms. Freshman and seconded by Ms. Arthurs. Is there any further discussion with the board? Mr. Chairman. Ms. Malice. Should we refer to the resolution? There is, I, a, there is a resolution that follows the, the approval. Okay. 
if if we're in agreement with the resolution. I'll make that you know ask unanimous consent to add the resolution to the motion. Um, my only additional comment was that I'm a little uncomfortable with the broadness of the resolution because as as stated in the um, proposal, um, it is you know we have, the zoning administrator made the the uh, approved the EO EHO permits, but we're only addressing four issues. So we're not saying that the EHO permits are are you know correct in every respect. We're just addressing the four issues that were before us. But I might be alone in that feeling. Um. So where in the resolution do you object? Um, um, let me find it. Page eight. Um, where the BZA finds that the zoning administrator's determinations in her September 12th option permit approvals were correct. And so I guess my question is, is that, is that referring to the determinations in the four issues that we've been addressing tonight, or is that more broad? I, uh, Ms. Freshman. Typically when we make an emotion, the res we don't read the entire resolution unless we change a whereas or add something. I don't see any reason why the motion can't just go as. Do you, do you mean to include the resolution? I don't. Well, we can say upholds the decision of the zoning administrator as summarized in the motion or the resolution. But no, my, I'm 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 simply stating that. Um, I, I, I'm suggesting maybe we should be more specific as to like the four issues presented and not just that um, the 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 determinations were correct. The permits, the determinations in the permits were correct. Well, I defer to staff. They um, prepared the report and seem to think that the, the delineation wasn't necessary. So. I agree with Ms. Freshman. So. Um, says determinations plural. There's two appeals. That's oh, okay. That's what I was getting at. So it's just the, I, that, the only thing we're sorry, doing yes. is we're upholding your determination. We're not getting into the reason. That covers my concern. The reason it's plural right, is right, that right. there's two applications and so should we be making two motions? Um, I think that we're okay with because they're combined them. They're combined. They're the resolution has both specifically referenced. Okay. Sorry, I. I uh, no, I, it's a very good point because I was. That makes that makes sense. So that covers my concern. Sir, uh, the discussion with the board now. Thank you. Is there another resolution? This is no. That's it. That, oh, both. That's right, because okay. it's, it's got both of those. Okay. okay. So, did so, um, okay. So, uh, is, is the question that we need to have a motion for each appeal? Is that what you're suggesting? It was a question, but it's both appeals are referenced in our staff report. And we combine them at the beginning we of the hearing. And we combine them in the hearing. So, are, are you motioning to pass the, um, the proposed motion for approval? The attached proposed motion the for resolution. Approval. I'm I'm read from the staff report. That's what I usually do. So a, a motion by Miss Freshman, seconded by Miss Arthur's, um, for the um, proposed passage resolution. Any further discussion? I will call the roll. I, I must hear what you what you say about the resolution as as, as described in as the resolution. Described in the, okay. Yes, the, the the staff proposal for yeah. approval. 
Miss Malice. Aye. Miss Freshman. Aye. Miss Clark. Aye. Miss Arthurs. Aye. Chair votes aye. Um, motion to uphold the zoning administrator passes five to zero. Unanimous consents to adjourn. There being no, our agenda having been completed, I adjourn the meeting.